The Bible reading tonight will be from Genesis chapter 18, verse 17, to Genesis chapter 19, verse 29. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men you came, who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, 
Don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, son-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But can't I flee? But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request to you. I will not overthrow this town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zorah. By the time Lot reached Zorah, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when the Lord destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Brian. I have the privilege of being on staff here at Normanhurst. Uh, we haven't met before, great to meet you. Also, this is not my normal voice, so if we haven't met before, this is not what I normally sound like. Maybe I've gone a bit too hard preaching today, but that's all right. Um, this is an intense passage, isn't it? Um, there's an old preacher's saying, that sometimes God's word might either sing or sting. And I feel like this time it just stabs us in the gut. Uh, 
And if you're feeling a bit raw after what we've just read, I think you're in the right place. Uh, this is a very intense passage, and it's so important for us to grapple with it. Uh, in fact, God's word can often cut to our hearts. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 says that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the weakness of my voice, that your word would work powerfully, that you would cut to our hearts, that you would divide soul and spirit, that you would help us to see that you alone are the righteous judge and that you always do what is right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, friends, for the past two weeks, your newsfeed has probably been filled with that uh, unfolding conflict that is going on in Gaza and Israel. Heartbreaking images of innocent civilians being killed and injured. The IDF and the Islamic militant group Hamas exchanging rockets across the border as civilian casualties grow. Uh, we don't know the exact figures, but estimates are something like there have been 5,000 people killed in the last fortnight, and there's been another 15,000 who have been injured. Uh, there's been significant damage to homes, hospitals, and churches. Large numbers of people are fleeing the country to find peace and safety. But what I find really shocking about this conflict is that actually both sides want the exact same thing. Do you know what they want? They want justice. In 2022, the Russian army invaded Ukraine. They sent airstrikes and invading forces into Ukrainian territory. Since then, the US estimates that 70,000 Ukrainian soldiers and 120,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. On top of that, there's 16,000 civilians that have also been killed in the invasion. And yet, Putin claims that this invasion is a just retaliation for the genocide of Russian people. How anyone could consider that bloodshed just is beyond me. In 2020, the death of George Floyd in the US caused national outrage. People started rioting in the streets. Property damage went up into the billions. And as the unrest continued, more and more lives were lost. What started as a march for justice quickly devolved into anarchy. I wonder, with all that is going on in the world, what do you think about God? Do you think that God is just? See, if we believe in a sovereign God, how do we explain the injustice that goes on in the world around us? Our question this evening is Abraham's question in Genesis 18. He asks, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? 
And friends, the good news that we will encounter in God's word is that God is thoroughly committed to justice. He is the just judge, the only just judge, and the only just and merciful judge. He alone is righteous, and he will bring about his kingdom where peace and justice reign. And that's good news. That's good news for people living in a world of injustice. That's good news if you're disturbed by what you're seeing going on in the Middle East right now. That's good news for people who long for the kingdom where justice and righteousness rule. Let's begin with the just judge. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 18 verse 17. There we are brought into the very mind of God. Uh, a bit earlier than this, God has appeared to Abraham and Sarah, and he's confirmed to them that next year you will have a child. This is the promise that God made to them all the way back in Genesis 12 to bless all the nations through Abraham's offspring. And it was a promise that God was thoroughly committed to. And so, in verse 18, God says, Abraham will surely become a great and a powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. God's people must know what true righteousness is. God's purpose in giving those promises to Abraham is to do something about the sin and injustice that has infected his good creation. Through Abraham, his plan is to bring about a people who love and pursue justice. In fact, the very reason that we get to hear God's deliberation here is because God wants us to be a people who do what is just and right. We must be a people who love and pursue justice. But then we go on in verse 20, and we hear that the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great now, and their sin is so grievous, that God is going to go down and to see for himself just what is going on. Now, if I can refresh your memory for a second, uh, you might remember that in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rejected God's rule, God came into the garden and he said to them, where are you? Now in saying that, it wasn't that God didn't know where they were, it was that he was giving them a chance to acknowledge what they had done and come back to him. Similarly, in Genesis 4, when Cain murders Abel, God comes and he asks him, where is your brother? You might recall that Abel says, well, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? It wasn't that God didn't know what Cain had done. Rather, he was giving him a chance to confess. In fact, God then said that the very blood of Abel was crying out to him from the ground. And so in Genesis 18, when God says that he's going down to see what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not because he doesn't know. In fact, he knows the exact number of casualties in every war. He knows the people responsible for every rocket fired. 
He knows every drug dealer, human trafficker, every pedophilia ring. He knows and he has compassion on the children of Philippines that we heard about earlier who are experiencing child sexual exploitation online. He knows what we do behind closed doors when we close the blinds. He knows our selfish motives and our pride, even before we know it. Friends, God knows the very recesses of our hearts. Every action is laid bare before the judge of the world, and nothing escapes his gaze. And yet, in Genesis 18, God says that he will visit Sodom and Gomorrah to see if the outcry is as bad as what he has heard. Why do you think that God would do that? Let me tell you a story. Uh, In 1986, there was a woman named Rhonda Morrison. She was an 18-year-old woman who was murdered in Alabama. An investigation stalled after six months and no leads and no major suspects until another man accused of crimes came to the police and he cut them a deal and he gave up Walter McMillan, saying he was responsible for Rhonda's murder. Walter was a 45-year-old man with no prior convictions, an alibi that was confirmed by multiple witnesses and no substantial evidence against him. Just a few people who said that he did it. And still, in just one and a half days, with conflicting witness statements, a jury decided that Walter should be sentenced to death. In the same way, when Jesus was arrested, he was taken to a mock court. It met in the secrecy of night. And in just a few hours, with conflicting witness statements, they declared that Jesus was worthy of death. Such quick justice, such perversion of justice. But what we see here in Genesis 18 is that God's justice is never hasty or blind. God knows all, sees all, hears all. All his judgments are always right. And because he knows all things, we know that he can deliver true and right judgment. Uh, Nonetheless, Abraham still has concerns. After all, his nephew Lot lived in the town of Sodom. And so he approaches God boldly and he asks him, he says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? See, if God is to be a just judge, then he must be able to punish the wicked without harming the righteous. Earlier this week, you probably heard about a missile, which some people say was fired by the Israeli army. Some people say it was a Palestinian rocket. Either way, it struck a hospital and claimed many innocent lives. 
whether it was Israeli or whether it was uh, from the Palestinian army, this much is clear. Justice without precision is not justice at all. A truly just judge must be able to protect the innocent and punish the guilty. And friends, that is what we see about God all throughout the Bible. In fact, in 2 Peter 2, it says this. It says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. See how God is truly a just judge. Even though we may see war and bloodshed now, even though we long for that day when peace and justice reign, know that God will judge justly. He is able to do it. Every wrong, every evil deed will be laid bare before the Lord on the day of judgment, and he alone will bring about his kingdom where peace and justice reign. Now, God is not only the just judge, he is the only just judge. Uh, come back with me now to Genesis chapter 19, where we see Lot's righteous actions. We hear that the angels arrive in Sodom in the evening and Lot pleads with them to stay at his place. They wanted to spend the night sleeping in the city square and Lot knows just how dangerous an idea that is. And so he insists that they come and stay with him. And Lot was right, wasn't he? Because as soon as he puts together a quick and easy meal, some unleavened bread, which is kind of the equivalent of two-minute noodles in the ancient Near East, they scoff it down and before they can even get to bed... We're told in verse 4 that the entire house is surrounded by every man from the town of Sodom. Young men, old men, all of them. And they call out to Lot, bring out those men who are staying with you so that we can have sex with them. It makes you sick to the stomach, doesn't it? What these evil people wanted to do to two men that had just come into their town looking for refuge. This is an evil sexual exploitation. And so Lot steps outside of his house and he pleads with his neighbors. He said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And as he stands outside his house with the mob crowding in around him, no doubt filled with fear as they came towards him, Lot gave them another option. He said, look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them whatever you like. 
but don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. And they respond, get out of the way. Who made you judge among us? Friends, in December 2001, just a few months after 9-11, there was a movie which came out called Black Hawk Down. Uh, Black Hawk Down is a movie about a United Nations peacekeeping initiative where US soldiers were sent into Somalia to remove a tyrant and restore aid to an area. And now for all the actions and explosions, I think actually one of the best scenes in the movie is this one that happens right at the end. Uh, one of the soldiers who was sent into battle is now critically wounded and is in a hospital bleeding out. And the US Army general who gave the green light for the mission is standing there looking as guilty as sin, knowing what he's done. And in his guilt, he picks up a towel and he grabs that towel and he goes over to the place where this man's blood is pouring onto the floor and he starts to wipe it up. But as he wipes, he doesn't take any of the blood with him. He just spreads it around. He makes a small problem a bigger problem. That is exactly what Lot has done here. In an attempt to establish justice, he has perverted justice. In an attempt to establish goodness and peace, he has suggested something so evil, so vile, that it should make us feel sick inside. Friends, I'm not a father, but should God ever give me daughters, I could not even fathom saying the words that he said. And this is to show us that Lot is not a just judge. It is God who establishes justice by blinding the crowds, not Lot. Lot is unrighteous. God alone is the just judge. In fact, we didn't cover this in our Bible reading, but in Genesis chapter 20, even Abraham, the man of faith, sins against the Lord. Uh, Abraham, like Lot, is filled with fear as he's living in a foreign nation. He's afraid of what the people might do to him if they find out that beautiful Sarah is his wife. And so he lies. He says, she's my sister. And the king notices her beauty and he marries her. Fortunately, before anything ha can happen, God intervenes. And Abimelech finds out what Abraham has done. And he says these words to Abraham. He says, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you've brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Even Abraham, filled with fear, fails to maintain justice, and he does what should never be done. Abraham sins. God is the only just judge. In fact, if you can just bear with me one more minute, I really need to labor this point, that what Lot does and what Abraham does is so vile and so evil. Do not think for a second that the Bible approves of what they've done. In fact, God's word tells us in Romans chapter 3 that there is no one righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Friends, you may not be as depraved as Sodom. I certainly hope you aren't. You might even be able to hold your ground under pressure, unlike Lot and Abraham. But all of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard for his creation. Uh, God's law sums up righteousness in these two commands. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're honest, none of us can say that we have always loved God and loved our neighbor. There is only one judge who is just. He alone does what is completely right. He alone upholds perfect justice. Friends, he is the just judge. In fact, he's the only just judge. And now finally, he is the only just and merciful judge. Come back with me again to Genesis 19 and let's hear what the angels say to Lot. Uh, They've now witnessed firsthand the reason for the outcry against the city. And so their determination is fixed. Sodom must fall. And so the angels warn Lot in verse 12. They say, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot passes on the warning to his sons-in-law, and yet they think he's joking. And then verse 15, dawn now strikes, and the angels tell Lot, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. And Lot hesitates. Lot doesn't believe God's word that judgment is coming. So what does God do? Well, we're told that the angels grab Lot and his wife and his daughters by the hand and lead them out of the city, even though they didn't believe God's word that destruction was coming. We are told there at the end of verse 16 that the Lord was merciful to them. Uh, I don't know about you if you've ever been rescued while swimming at the ocean Uh, I've never needed to, although I've definitely got myself in a few hairy situations when I failed to read a rip. Uh, But if I ever did get rescued, I can guarantee you there is one thing that I wouldn't do. I wouldn't pretend to know the currents better than the lifeguards. I wouldn't tell the lifeguard how to paddle on their board as they brought me into shore. And I certainly wouldn't kick and scream unless they rescued me the way that I wanted. And yet, that's kind of what Lot does, isn't it? Have a look at verse 17. We're told that as soon as they brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. He said, look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. Once again, you see that Lot thinks that he is a better judge than God. 
and yet God graciously allows him to flee to that town, showing him undeserved mercy and kindness. He allows Lot to go there, and he spares not only Lot, but that town on account of him. Friends, this is a shocking part of God's word. Uh, I remember reading this for the first time as a young Christian, around age 16, I think I was. And I remember just being so shaken by the perversion and the wickedness of the men of Sodom. I remember being absolutely dumbfounded and disgusted by Lot's attempted solution to establish justice, prostituting his own daughters to an angry mob. Maybe you're hearing this story for the first time tonight, and you find these things equally shocking. But let let me remind you that we started today with a question. It was Abraham's question. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? We've seen tonight that God is a just judge. In fact, he is the only just judge. And if that is the case, then surely the most shocking part about God's word tonight is that God is merciful to Lot. If God is on about justice, how could he spare Lot? If God is on about justice, how could he spare anyone? If we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, how could he be just and not destroy us? Friends, this is such an important question. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Come with me now to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this, you'll see, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Friends, at the cross of Christ, God has demonstrated his righteousness. Because at the cross, there is not a single crime committed that will go unpunished. God's word tells us that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. In other words, anyone no matter how unrighteous, how unworthy, could be made right with God through trusting in Jesus' sacrifice in their place. When you trust in Jesus, he takes all your sin upon himself and he gives you his perfect righteousness. You're justified, guilt-free, by trusting in the merciful and just God. We've seen tonight that he is the just judge, the only just judge, and he will always do what is right. But we've also seen that he is just and merciful 
He is the God of sovereign grace. And so, friends, run. Run to Jesus because his sacrifice in your place is what makes you right with God. Run to him. He is your city of refuge. Just like the safest place to be in a bushfire is the place where the fire has already burned through, so the safest place to be on the day of the Lord is to be found in Jesus, the one who bore your punishment so that you wouldn't have to. Friends, run to Jesus and never look back because the day of the Lord is coming. And the Lord Jesus said that it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go back to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. He is the only just judge. So place your life in his hands. And know, friends, that God will establish his kingdom where peace and justice reign, where every evil, every wrong will be punished. He is just and merciful. And so we can approach him knowing the goodness of his sovereign grace. Friends, we're going to do that now by coming to God in prayer. Uh, we've heard tonight that God is just and merciful. And the Bible assures us that when we acknowledge our sins and trust in Jesus, we are forgiven. Past, present, and future sin, all paid for by the blood of Jesus. Maybe God's word has cut to your heart tonight. Maybe you want to do some business with God in prayer. I'm going to give you a few moments now just to pray to God, to acknowledge your sin, and to run again to Jesus. So I'm just going to give us all a few moments do some business with God. Pray to him tonight. Pour out your heart to him in prayer. Take this moment now. Heavenly Father, you alone are righteous and just. We are sorry for the times where we have not loved you with all our heart and we have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We know that we fall short of your justice decrees. And yet, good Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that in sending Jesus, you are both just and able to make us just through faith in your Son. Help us to run to Jesus every day. In his name we pray. Amen.